do 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 do. All right, <clears throat> here we go. My name's Todd Adams. This is Kathy Adams. Uh, welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio Podcast. This is episode number two hundred fifty-seven. Why listening? Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio, sweetie? Why? Because you'll feel outstanding. Yes. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And I always remember our motto that we stole from Dr. Dan Siegel: the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Topics this week. You ready, Freddie? Yes. Are you ready? I'm. I'm ready, Freddie. Um, the the guts of it are is going to be an interview that we both heard. Um, there's a podcast called On Being mm-hmm. with Kristen Tippett. Mm-hmm. Never heard of it, but I really enjoyed the interview. Oh, I've been listening to it for a while. Oh, you're a subscriber. I am. Ooh, yeah. All right. Um, she interviews a woman named Ellen Langer, mm-hmm. who's a social psychologist, who some have du- dubbed the mother of mindfulness. Correct. And we're going to talk about them in a little bit. But first, it's going to be my portion of the podcast, really? sweetie. Really? Are yes. you seriously going first? Yes, because you went first last week. I did? Yes. Okay, go ahead. We'll do like the serious stuff after. We'll do the fun stuff now. All right, go be fun. Um, I want to talk about three things. All right. One is, uh, I'll just jump right in, uh, sibling relationships. Okay. All right. We had uh, a wonderful summer, but would you agree when you said that there was moments where our daughters were not being as kind to one another as they could have been. At times. Safe to say, right? Sure, I think that's typical. They're human beings. Correct. Who live in a tight space. They're humans being. That's right. They're not humans doing, sweetie. They're humans being. So um, I got frustrated a lot this summer, and I want to talk about this a few weeks ago, but I never had a chance to. Um, And one note that I wrote to myself, and maybe you kind of help me explain, because this came from a discussion that you and I have. Okay. Look like you're looking at me like, what is he about to say? I'm just wondering where you're going. We're too passive and say that that's just the way they are, talking about children. Okay. Instead of getting to the root and deal with it through reminders. Okay. Yep. I remember that discussion. Uh, So let me first, um, uh, what's the word that I can say? Let me first compliment you. Okay. Because I do some heavy lifting in this family, but I feel like you do more of the heavy lifting when it comes to emotions. Okay. Because I think I get frustrated quicker. Okay. Fair to say. Well, I think you, yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I just think you you decided on a – it's interesting because it'll kind of connect with this. You have a story about it and you're like, so be done fighting. Yes. Period. Yes, please be done. And the story is much grander Teaser, and I'm going to come up with a really good technique to help parents. Okay. Stop fighting. The parents no. stop fighting or the kids stop fighting? Have, help the parents – have their kids stop fighting. This help, is not, how about help the parents help the kids to cease their fighting? Yeah, that's kind of what I said. But <laughs> anyways, so I'm going to give that to you in just a okay. second. But um, w- one thing we realized this summer is it was summertime. And right. what that means is they're together a All lot the time. more. Yeah. Whereas school, they have a break of seven or eight hours yeah. where they don't have to deal with their siblings. And then when we when they come home, there's very little frustration at each other initially. And so, you know, obviously there's this or that that they get annoyed about, but there's not this buildup right. of you've been in my face all day. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. So I tend to get frustrated quicker and I just kind of, I'm black and white. Okay, time to stop fighting. Yeah. And I get frustrated. Whereas you, when I think of the term constant reminders, because I don't know that as I, I've been a parent for how old is JC? 12 years old? She's good. She's 12. I don't know. I feel like I'm, I have more confidence now than, than I used to in advising parents, like yelling at kids. Cause I don't think I yell at them. I just get no, frustrated. No. I, I, I usually am calmly frustrated. Well, you just want it to be done. I just want it to be done. Whereas a lot of parents yell at their kids. Right. And the thing about yelling is it will work the first time. Maybe. Or maybe the first three times, but eventually they'll tune you out a little bit yes. and then you'll have to do, come up with louder language or more severe language mm-hmm. or whatever, timeouts. I'm not going to talk about timeouts, but there's just a lot of different techniques that are out there. And we don't yell at our kids. We really don't. Okay. Right? Correct. I, and what you do that is very good is you have a discussion with them. Like instead of yelling, have a discussion with them. So what would that look like in our kids? So uh, let me give you an example. Okay. Okay. Both kids want the middle seat and they don't want to be in the back of the minivan. Right. So how do you navigate through that process when really they're forcing you to make a decision of who gets something? Right. So basically, you know you're going to disappoint one kid. Right. And any um, tips? I do have some tips. Can Do you want me to answer that? Can I go back to that quote? Sure, go back. Okay. 
I am going to answer the middle seat question, but the thing that Todd just read a few minutes ago about sometimes we're too simplistic about things going on with siblings where we kind of just sum it up with, well, siblings fight and we don't pay enough attention to it. The reason why I think that's really vital is because what I think the most important thing is for my girls is to understand how to be in relationship with other people. Being in relationship with other people doesn't mean that they never get annoyed at people. It means that when they get annoyed or when something feels unfair or when someone is treated poorly, how do you respond? What decision are you going to make now? And so I hear from a lot of parents, you know, my kids fight. I just – and sometimes you do have to walk away. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if you're in your in a bad place, you do just have to leave. There's something to be said for that too. But I find if I'm in a place where I can help, it's not about me solving the problem. It's about me saying, what's going on? What were you feeling before this? What occurred? What happened last time? I, I try to walk them through the relationship and not the – problem that they think they're having in the moment. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does. But one thing that you do very well, which I forget and a lot of other, and you're you're not perfect, but you let them state their side of the story. Always. Whereas us as parents, we kind of presume we know exactly what's going on. We decide how it's going to end because we want it to end. And unfortunately, a lot of us have biases about, well, you're the oldest, you should know better. Mm -hmm. Or um, she's the youngest, so she gets away with it all the time. Or you're the middle, you shouldn't have a problem. We have all these crazy biases. Mm -hmm. If it be based on their age, if it be based on their... um, the order of when they were born or just on the personality and the relationship that we have with them. Right. We start to make assumptions about how things should go or who's right and who's wrong. And in every situation, they, they both have to be heard. Right. Now, let's go to the car. They all get in and they all want this middle seat or the front seat or whatever. Mm-hmm. And my first thought, my first question to them is, well, who had it last time? Right. Well, I don't remember whatever. Or a lot of times it, it it's very clear. Like, well, I did, but... JC had it twice in a row. Well, all I can deal with right now is just this situation. And since you are in the front seat, it's very simple to me. We take turns and we rotate. I make it very simple. This is not a, oh, you you know, there, I think a lot of um, issues have very simple, fair solutions. And what I'm trying to demonstrate to them is not that I'm in charge of deciding, because you said one kid gets disappointed. And I very rarely fear, feel that they're disappointed in what I said. They're disappointed because they know that that really is what needs to happen. But they will be less disappointed if you allow them, and let's forget about the car seat for a second, if you let them say their piece. Always. Tell me, tell me, you know, what... And then the other kid has to be quiet. Correct. And we as a parent have to be quiet. Correct. And then they're done. Correct. And then the other kid gets their turn. And then, and then it's our turn. Right. And a lot of times when it's our turn, they interject and we have to say, hold Hold it. Hold on. I listened to you. Yeah, right. Now you need to hear me. Right. See, and what I want to say is this goes back to teaching them to be in relationship I am not trying to just solve the problem because the problem is usually not a huge problem. Let's be real. Somebody wants the middle seat. This is not a life or death situation, but it is good training ground for be honest about what happened. Um, what's fair in this situation, whose turn is it really, mm-hmm. what, you know, like it's a, let me have my perspective shared, even if you don't agree with me, all of those things will support them, not just in who's going to get the middle seat, right. but in every other situation in life. Right. So I think in that quote that you read before about we're too passive about sibling stuff, it's not a criticism as much as we're missing these opportunities right to show them how they can see more clearly if they listen and are heard. Well, siblings are a great practice. That's what it is. For the real world. That's what it is. And you're going to have somebody who frustrates you at your first job. That's right. How are you going to deal with it? That's right. So instead of, you know, because like you said, we just want the problem to be over. Right. And I have less patience than you do. You like really kind of take two steps backwards. And the only way you can take two steps backwards and let them listen is if you are have a full tank right. if you are taking care of yourself. Or a pretty full tank. Yes. You know, there's sometimes at the end of the day where I would choose to not be doing this, but I know that it's better than the alternative. Mm-hmm. There are times, like, I'll just give you an example of both. Last night before they went to bed, there was a lot of things we had to discuss amongst the three of them. We had to do all these things, and then I said, I was really tired, so I'm like, I'm going to bed. 
And then like 30 minutes later, one of them came in and said, well, will you help me with this? And I said, you know what? I'm so done. Right. I said, we're going to have to do this in the morning. So my point is, is that majority of the day we can have these discussions and they're not really that volatile. I think because we've been having them so so much. Right. I'm not saying people aren't annoyed or feeling that, you know, you know, giving each other looks and right. stuff. I mean, they're human and yeah. they're children, but it's not like a slamming door mm. situation. Right. I I don't I'm not nervous about these arguments. I think they're very typical and normal. Normal. And I think what they need from me is not someone to quote unquote solve it, but to mediate it. You ready for my technique, sweetie? Let's hear it. So it's a- after I'm done trying to mediate it and I get frustrated and I'm mm-hmm. done, this this, te- this technique has been tested for 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So it's tried and true. Right. This is a f- well thought out technique. I can't wait. When they argue and I'm done trying to figure it out for them or help them figure it out for themselves, I start singing. Oh, that's good. Because they don't like it when I sing at all. Right. And they get, they kind of, at least this week in the car, it worked. Because they shifted gears? I th- it was a distraction. It oh. kind of made them laugh, okay. brought some levity to the intense situation. So, you know, you're welcome, everybody, for that amazing tip. Well, I tend to... Just sing- start singing. Yeah, I do that The worse the you are at singing, the more effective it becomes. Because if you're a good singer, forget it. Right. But I am not. What if you're like right in the middle? Because I sing all the time. Well, then you got to pull a Bobby Brady and then pretend you're bad. Okay. Actually, Bobby did. Or no, did I say Bobby? I meant Peter. When it's time to change, you've got to rearrange. Well, where do you... Now, you got to be very careful. (laughs) Tread carefully. But I sing all day long with them. And I'm not a good singer, but I'm not doing Peter Brady. So, and I'm not doing it to make them stop talking. They, do you know what I mean? Well, if you're already doing it, the technique isn't going to work. Okay, so the tech, so it's no longer. So a the only way that this tech, the only way this tried and true after one try and 24 hours of feedback, is if you don't sing to your kids. Begin to grow. You gotta take the lesson from Mother Nature, and if you do, you'll know. When it's time to change, then it's time to change. Don't fight the tide, come along for the ride. That's right. Well, I will say that maybe I'm not Peter and I'm not Marsha. Maybe I'm a Jan. How's that for I'm not Peter. I'm definitely not Marsha. Do you mean do you mean Marsha's good? Yes. And Peter's bad? Yes. And Jan's good? She's in the middle. She's in the middle. This whole. What about Greg? He's the rock star. Well, it, Johnny he, freaking Bravo. He wrote the song. Yes, he did. I mean, we got to give him some props. That's right. And I probably wouldn't measure myself against Greg. Yeah, because he's so good. <laughs> just because I'm a girl, I guess. But you just compared yourself. True, to, true. But Peter's like the extreme bad. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And I am kind of Peter. But you're not really. You just pretend to be. I'm really bad singer. No, not, I mean. Really? <laughs> you think I'm a good singer? But what I'm saying is when you sing to the girls, you're doing it on purpose bad. Well, I am singing as well as I can. Okay. But I know it's not good. But I sing loud and obnoxious too. Okay, yes. That's what I was, that's what I'm hinting at. <laughs> okay. Um, so our first partner, sweetie, is Tree of Life Chiropractic Care. And you yes. know what they have going on? What? They have teacher's night out. So if you are a teacher in this area... Um, on September 24th, kickoff is at 3.15. You can go to chirotree.com slash workshops, and it has all the information for you. So um, 630-941-8733. And then one more thing, and then we'll get into your stuff, okay? okay. Uh, Sean Boyle, you know who Sean uh-huh. is. He's our friend. He's uh-huh. in my tribe's men's group. He's our videographer. He's done a lot of things for us. He wrote a blog, and I just want to read a few clips from it, Okay. Um, because what happened is Sean got fired from his job. He said, a few weeks back, my day job cut me loose. My performance was struggling and it felt like my skills as an engineer drafter were exponentially dissipating while my skills with my camera were rapidly expanding. Where am I today? Well, I'm ready to be a professional videographer and photographer. Can I tell you how or why I know I'm ready? Nope, nor does that really matter to me anymore. The fact is, I believe it. Hmm. The key word is I. For that... A long time, I kept thinking that somebody was going to come along and tell me, hey, you are ready. You have value. Go do what you love. After waiting for this magic gate, 
gatekeeper to come along and set me free, I learned that I am the gatekeeper. I never needed permission. I only needed confidence. You are what you do, and what I do is point my camera at everything and tell stories with what I capture. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it constantly. So I thought that was really well thought out. So he's our friend, and he's like does weddings and birthday parties. So this is kind of a free plug for Sean, and it's seanboyle.com. So that's the deal. Um, All right, let's get into Kristen Tippett. Um, Actually, Kristen Tippett is the um, the what am I trying to say? The host of a podcast called On Being. And um, it's a really wonderful, uh, you know, kind of long form interview with somebody who is, you know, some of the thinkers of our time, spiritual thinkers or um, psychological thinkers or um, uh, she's had some actors, you know, just really in-depth interviews. And yesterday I was listening to an interview with Ellen Langer, who as Todd, when he introduced her, she is in the psychology department at Harvard. I actually just read right before we started taping that she was the first woman to get tenure in the psychology department at Harvard. Um, And what she has studied her whole life is interestingly enough in the 70s, she started studying mindlessness. Hmm. I did say that correctly, mindlessness. And as she started to move forward, she decided to shift it to mindfulness because she was more focusing on the negative and she wanted to focus on what we could do different. So mindlessness is whenever you are not mindful. Correct. Correct? It's okay. unconscious versus conscious. Okay. But she uses very straightforward language, which she does on purpose. So why it's interesting is she's been studying this since the 70s and she actually ran into uh, – she kind of – I don't know if she runs in the same circle, but she started studying it around the same time John Kabat-Zinn started studying mindfulness. And and I'm saying this because now mindfulness has become a very um, common word. Yes, people, thank goodness, right? Thank goodness. Um, people have their own identification with it or what it means for them. And a lot of authors have taken it as their own and not as their own, but they have said, hey, here's this thing you need to do. Right. And she's been discussing this. And I think why I appreciate what she talks about is because the simplicity of which she talks about it. So her whole focus is the simple act of actively noticing things results in increased health, competence, and happiness. So her mindfulness, her take on mindfulness has never involved deep contemplation, meditation, yoga. She says it comes straight out of her unconventional studies which have been suggesting that what neuroscience is telling us now, that our experience of everything is formed by the words and ideas we attach to them, okay? So we've actually talked about her before. We just didn't give her credit. I don't even remember talking about it. I'm almost positive we did. Maybe I wrote about it, but I think we talked about it on the show years ago. There were two studies that she did that are pretty famous. Number one, she did a study with uh, chambermaids. And what she did... What's a chambermaid? Uh, it's a maid in like a hotel or, a, you know, oh, a big... Hotel maids. Hotel. Yeah, hotel maids. Okay. Um, and what she did with them is told them that when they... Because mo- think about what a maid is doing all day. Working moving, or moving. Moving, moving. Yeah, moving. So she told them that when they are doing their work, they are actually not working, they're exercising. Hmm. Okay. And of course it was a study. So there were, you know, there could be comparables. And what she found is when that word was switched in their head from work to exercise, the ones who, the, the maids who changed to exercise, they use that word, they lost weight. Wow. Okay? Think about that. So nothing happened. So nothing they are not different. So, okay. All right. I'm with you so far. Because there was obviously con- a control group who was doing the same thing but they were using the word work. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's pretty amazing. And then the other study she did, which was, I know we talked about, because I think you were the one that brought it to everybody's attention. And it was a group of elderly men in their eighties were put in a situation where it was like they were, it was 20 years before. Okay. And everything in their surroundings indicated that it was 20 years before. The newspapers, what was on TV, what they wore, how they talked. And so they were put in this situation for weeks. Right. And after that experience, after they came out of that situation, so basically what they were asked to do was just not just act, because pretend makes it sound like they were play acting, but just embrace the fact that it was 20 years earlier. Decide, Decide. right now right. 
that you are not because this was happened when they were like eighty five years old. They were in their mid eighties, and then they so they're basically telling these eighty five year olds just assume you're sixty five. That's right, and that everything that happened when you were sixty five is happening now. Okay, so you'd they'd wake up and read a newspaper in the morning, and it would be like the news from that time. Oh, so they would purposely put props, and it was. It was more than props. Everything. Their clothes. They set up a situation, obviously an expensive study. Right. So they had – so it would be a newspaper from 20 years ago. And they were sitting in a room with wallpaper from 20 years ago. Got it. And they were surrounded by people oh, wow. who they could talk about the things going on like – you know, a war yeah. or, and so they were in, they were completely integrated yes. into this time. Well, what happened when these people came out of this, um, they had more strength mm-hmm. when they came out of it. They physical actually, strength. Physical strength. They actually looked younger. They had better health, meaning that they took their blood pressure, did all that kind of thing. And these men were actually healthier and like they were 65. Mm. This study has been repeated in England, South Korea, and the Netherlands. So this is not just a one-time shot. Right. They repeated this study. Yes. What it tells us, because that's just pretty cool in itself, a lot of people talk about the mind-body connection. Mm -hmm. That's not enough. The mind and the body are one. Do you see what I mean? Right. It's not either or. It's not either or. It's not like, hmm, if I think something. It's the same thing. It's integrated. Yeah. And so we like to separate them out. And what she learned in these studies and what she's been proving over, you know, this is her research, is that the mind and the body are completely integrated. Now, you might say, oh, I know that. But most people just think about them as being like, well, maybe I'll think good things and maybe it'll affect me. What you think is what you become. Change the way you look at things. The things you look at change. That's right. And think about just with the chambermaid situation. They changed a word and it changed the way their body responded. Mm -hmm. That's that's huge. Yeah, and this is this is research, everybody. Yeah, this isn't uh, pie in the sky, um, you know, positive thinking stuff from the seventies. Yeah, I mean, this has been happening, and and you know, so now it, her her research is becoming more in vogue because we've obviously and and she doesn't say that things like meditation and yoga and those things don't help. Of course, they help, but they aren't essential to understand what she's talking so about. So what mindfulness. is essential? So if it's not yoga and meditation, which is something that you and I both subscribe to, right. what is it? What is it? It is our experiences about everything are connected to the words we have attached to everything. Okay. Our ability to look at a tree, this is Eckhart Tolle, mm-hmm. and we just, we've got a word tree, Right. So we look at it and we say, tree, big deal, big deal. If you take that word away. Pretend you never heard. The pretend word you don't tree. have the word. You don't have it. And you've never seen a tree. Right. How do you look at that thing in your front yard? It's incredible. Mm. It's like huge. It's grounded into the earth. There are animals and bugs and birds living on it. It gives shade. It like sways in the wind. It's like gentle and and meditative. And then you don't... It grows. It looks like it's standing still. But as you're looking at it, unless it's dying, it is getting bigger. So think about how that shifts everything. Now let's take that to people. Mm -hmm. What she says is when you are with somebody and you are in a certain mood, there's a shift where instead of looking at this person and being like, oh, they annoy me because of what they just said or whatever, her, her tip is look at them and find four things you've never noticed before. Just notice something different. Look at their hands. Look at their the shirt that they're wearing or their hair. And their right gait. away, their gait. How they walk. Right away, what you're what happens is you move out of mindlessness, which is where you're just stuck in your story. And you are shifted to a place of being present. Should we play a few clips? Please go ahead. We have these categories, work, life, and we have brains, brawn. You know, so on, all the different distinctions that we make. We make them mindfully and then we start to use them mindlessly, forgetting that when we're at work, we're people. We have the same needs we had when we were on vacation. And you should get to the point where you're treating yourself, whether you're at work or at play, in basically the same way. Beautiful. We talked about that one this morning. Yeah. I love, you know, she's just... When I say she's simple, I don't mean the the information is simple. I mean she lays it out so simply. We have this idea that when we talk about being at work, we're a certain way. 
And when we talk about being on vacation, we're a certain way. And the truth is we're human in all of those situations. So what in both of those situations. So what we need is to understand that we bring our humanity to those situations. And what we need on a vacation is what we need at work too. Why do we separate them out and say, at work I have to be on and I have to be annoyed and I have to get frustrated and I have to go to battle and I have to but on vacation I get to just let go. Well, one reason that that doesn't work is because you're working 50 out of 52 weeks out of the year. So it's not a really good way to go through your existence. Uh, you mean like... You are you know, you work 50 out of 52 weeks. So you're saying that the fact that we are so like So high if we strung, decide that we're high strung 50 weeks out of the year and then two weeks we get to unwind what we've wound up, it's just not a really good belief system. It's not a good model for living. Right. And one of the things that I, I think I took this either from one of her um, books or from this interview, what makes a vacation a vacation is not only a change of scenery, but the fact that we let go of the mindless everyday illusion that we are in control. Yeah. Isn't that so true? Um, so, you know, we, we can, and again, people are saying, oh, how do I do that? Because my job's so stressful and vacation is so this way. And but you know what's interesting, Todd? Don't you think a lot of people bring that the way bring the way they are at work to their vacation? What do you mean? Like they bring it with them? They are a certain Oh, way. you mean they're they're negative critics yeah. and they're negative critics on vacation just like they are the other fifty weeks out of the year. I know so many people who need vacations from their vacation because they get so annoyed at the hotel or they get annoyed that their kids woke up early or they get annoyed that it was raining one day. Just roll with it. They're but they're using the same Well, it's I think how hard that is to shift gears. Right. And so imagine bringing the alternate bringing your vacation, vacation attitude towards to work. work and see, I think a lot of people say, well, then, then I'm not in control anymore. You never were. Mm -hmm. Um, you were in maybe decision-making where you were dealing with things when they came up, but that's actually quite mindful when we deal with things in the moment and not bring our history to it and not worry about what it's going to mean a week later, we actually handle things really well. So if you brought it kind of that vacation mentality of whatever comes up, I'll deal with it. But you know what stress is, Todd? Stress is something that we create when something isn't going our way. Correct. And it's stress is the concern about what something is going to mean. You know, like I'm stressed this isn't going to work out because then it'll mean this or I'm stressed that I already think this isn't going to work out and then it's going to mean this. We're creating a story in our head and it hasn't even occurred. And, and it may not ever occur. It may not ever occur. And, and I, most of the time it doesn't. I think when they've done, uh, again, studies on people who worry about certain things, like 92% of the time these things never happen. We just carry the worry. Worry pretends to be necessary, sweetie. All the time. Um, so there was something else I was going to say about that concern. Can uh, I talk about my second go, partner go while ahead, you think? Go ahead. Yes. So John Kelly is our second partner. Uh, his website is chicagodentistonline.com. Uh, he does comprehensive dentistry. He's on the northwest side of Chicago. He does something called Invisalign teeth straightening. Uh, actually, I needed this uh, because I went to college with braces, sweetie, as you know. <laughs> I do. Um, Chicago great. Invisalign preferred provider. With his expertise, you can have the smile you always wanted without the pain and anxiety of metal braces. Invisalign aligners are custom made to perfectly fit your mouth and are so inconspicuous, you and Dr. Kelly may be the only people to know you're correcting your teeth. Wow, that's quite the... The plug? The plug, yeah. I'm being more organized with our partners. I can sweetie. tell. I com. Can we listen? Oh, did you remember? Otherwise, I want to play the second okay. clip. You know, it's okay. I don't think it's important enough. So this is about universal uncertainty. Yes, yes. Um, there are you know, other people that might have a different view. So we sort of acknowledge that. You know, if you say to somebody, is there more than, is there only one way of looking at things? Everybody will say there are many ways. Right. But then they go through their lives looking at it from a single perspective. Uh, we really, we, we're afraid of uncertainty. And what I say in response to that is that we need to distinguish between what I call universal uncertainty and personal uncertainty. So personal uncertainty is, I don't know, I know I don't know, maybe you know, therefore I have to fake it in some way or feel bad about knowing <laughs> right. it or whatever. Universal uncertainty is an awareness, I don't know, you don't know, in some sense we really can't know. And that then the interaction proceeds differently. And so in a, in a personal context, when you do something that seems to me to be 
not right in some way, hurtful, you know, whatever, that if I'm operating within this absolute framework, this mindless framework, I then draw all sorts of negative attributions about you. I expect that you're this kind of person. I then label you that way, respond to you in the future that way, and it's almost impossible for you to break away from that. In this other way of viewing the world where you really understand that you come to understand that people's behavior makes sense from their perspective or else they wouldn't have done it. And seen. So what I wrote down is uh, a quote, and I don't know where Wayne Dyer got it from, but trade in certainty for curiosity. For sure. Because we walk into any situation, or most of us usually walk into any situation, thinking we know, we've judged, we've labeled. And I don't know why we do that. It just seems to be like our nature, and it's not. Our nature actually is curiosity, but we get conditioned, and I don't know how we got there, but maybe an awareness of just having this sense of curiosity about what somebody is displaying, like somebody's just being nasty. Why are they being nasty? Well, maybe they had a really bad day, or maybe they just received some bad news, or maybe they're not loving themselves. So there's all these different ways you can go about it. There is. And, you know, to back up on what you just said, you said, you know, we walk into situations and we judge and I don't know why we do that. It actually is completely biological and makes complete sense why we do it because we are, um, are the, you know, as human beings or as anything that's living on this earth, we want to survive. And so when we walk into certain situations, we have to judge our sense of being able to survive. Mm. Now, obviously, being a lion and being a human being are two very different things, but we still carry that kind of reptilian brain where that's kind of that instinctual thing is, are we safe here? And what safety means to a human being is very different than what it means to an animal. But I say that because I think one thing we need to take off of our list of guilts is the fact that we do judge because I judge all the time. What Todd is saying is the next step is when you judge, be curious about your judgment and question the reality and truth of it. So instead of trying to remove judgment, you can't, you can't, you're just saying when you do judge, question it, aware, be aware of it. Because sometimes we're not even aware of our judgment. We've decided what something is. Exactly. That's mindlessness. Right. Right. Yes. And so like when you, you walk into a situation and you look around at the room and you see that a bunch of people are very well dressed. Or your and, kids are fighting. You decide you know who's right and who's wrong. Be right. curious. Right. And Sorry, I just broke your train of thought. You So that's all right. And so you walk into a room and you see that everybody's really well dressed. You assume they're all wealthy. You mm. assume they're all one way. You assume they all have a certain political affiliation. These are judgments based on all these pieces of information that you've acquired over your lifetime. The big work is what is that true and can I be open and curious enough to meet these people instead of assume I know. But so many of us have become cynical and we say those people are like that. They're like that. You know. Remember Conan O'Brien's last sign-off? Mm, that was good. Oh, so good. Yeah. I, maybe I can find that and put it in the show notes. Uh, before he got fired from NBC, the one thing he's like, you know, maybe even he – uh, said to the young people, don't be cynical. Quit it's, being cynical. It's one of the least attractive qualities that I see in people. You know, be whatever the opposite of cynical It stunts is. you. Yeah. As soon as you've become so judgmental and so cynical, you are stuck. You are so mindless that you are stuck in your own belief system and you don't allow anybody to give you new information. If it be another person through discussion or if it be a sunset or if it be, um, you know, the people changing and growing, you know, you are completely closed off. And being cynical is is just as detrimental as being too cool, mm-hmm. where you're just too cool for any of it. You know, you're way above it. You've seen it all. You, you haven't. And no matter how old you are, you haven't. One thing that I wanted to bring into this discussion, because last week we talked about Brene Brown's book, and we focused completely on the reckoning, which is um, emotions. You know, like how to acknowledge your emotions, right? Remember that discussion? So one of the things in the next chapter of her book or the next section, it's called the rumbling. And the rumbling is how we're dealing with our emotions and how we're experiencing them. Again, I'm not going to go through the entire chapter, but I want to focus on two things that have completely connect to this. Number one is when we are feeling things or when we're having judgments or experiences, we often do one of two things. We create a conspiracy or we create a confabulation. And they're they're similar but different. So do you know what a conspiracy is? Uh, yes, I think I do. I don't know if I'll be able to define it, but I know what it is. 
Sure. Do you want to? Do you want me to just read the definition? Yes, because I don't feel like thinking right now. <laughs> While we're doing a show. While we're doing no, a show. No thinking. What do we call a story that's based on limited real data and imagined data, and then blended into a coherent, emotionally satisfying version of reality? That's exactly what I was about to say. Those were your oh my words. My goodness. Um, that's a conspiracy theory. And we love conspiracy theories. It's like, you know, the best movie ever, right? Well, I've seen this and this, so that must mean that they are spies. You know, like we – and we use that, though, on the most basic level. Let's take it out of the movies. We decide, wow, that person wasn't nice to me, and a week ago they didn't invite me to someone. They're against me. They are totally trying to screw my life. It's a conspiracy. We've created that situation in our head. In a very small, worldly way, you know, your own individual relationships or whatever. Yes. And we and don't you know people who do that? I have people sometimes telling me stories and they'll be like, and then everybody at the school turned against me. I'm like, really? And 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 here's the thing. You're not that important. <laughs> well, there's That's, there. that would be the first thing. <laughs> no. You're you, you we all think we're so important. Yeah, narcissism, right? We're not. Yeah. People don't really care that much about me. <laughs> and people don't care that much about you. People are, are trying to get by in their own little world. That's right. And for somebody to say that everybody in the school turned against me, I just think that's funny. Well, and I, I usually use this with people who are telling me that they're worried about people, you know, think a certain thing about them and they go on and on. And that's usually my humorous thing I say is I go, actually, nobody's thinking about you. Yeah. And I say it with humor. But what I mean is they're thinking about themselves and they're thinking about who's thinking about them. Yeah, they're they're externalizing their own self-doubt. Correct. And so the other one, which is very similar, is a confabulation, which is... It sounds actually, like a made-up word. No, it's not. It's actually often used with uh, people who have dementia or a brain injury because they misplace information and they start to believe that something is true, even though it's false. You, you could understand that, right? Someone who has dementia, who they believe that maybe there's a, a sense of paranoia about something or they saw something and then they start to piece it together. But because their brain isn't functioning the way it used to, it's it, it's a confabulation. The notebook, sweetie. There you go. Todd and I watched the notebook. Oh, notebook. I like chick flicks. Let me just be very honest. And now you're about to talk about no, this it's book, okay. but the notebook is a great date night movie. Man, that movie was good. Well, first of all, because the the young people and the old people are so easy to watch. Yeah. Like I love, obviously, who doesn't love Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams? But then, you know, James Garner and is it Jenna Rollins? Who is that? I don't know who the old lady is. But they're all so easy to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Get, rent that on iTunes. I don't know if it's on Netflix, but. Yeah, it's an oldie. It's an oldie, but a like goodie. 2004. Yeah, it's, it's really good. It's it's old. But anyway, going back to the confabulations, what's interesting about them is that you don't have to have dementia or a traumatic brain injury to use it. Um, basically, um, when we're having kind of this interplay of emotion and judgment and we start to feel that we're filling in the pieces – of what's happening, a little like a conspiracy, then we start to believe it so sincerely that we start to tell other people. So, okay, I'll give you an example. You didn't say you weren't very nice to me today. Okay. And I start to think that you're angry about something I did yesterday and you're mad that I was gone all day. And you're, you seem to be blowing me off because you're not supporting my need to be out with my friends. And all of a sudden, I take that as a truth and I start to tell it to other people in an honest way, meaning I'm not creating a – I don't think I'm creating a lie. I think I'm telling the truth about something when really it's not the truth at all. Maybe I had a really bad night of sleep the night before and I'm grumpy. And it had nothing to, to do, do with, with me you. at all. Yeah. But I have put all these pieces together where I then call my friends and say yeah. – can you believe how Todd is unsupportive of me being with my friends? If you don't have enough evidence, yes. you will create evidence That's to right. uh, justify your position. Yes. It, you will justify it and then you'll probably tell other people. Like how many times- Misery loves company. They love it. Like I, I definitely have a few friends who talk about their spouses or other people- in a way where sometimes when they're telling a story, I'm like, I don't know if that's all true, but I believe they think it's true. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I do. They, they've confabulated a situation where they're not intentionally lying, but they never had it straight to begin with. And so conspiracies and confabulations, why I'm bringing them up is because that's kind of a mindless thing to do. And we, if we know that the words we choose and the way that we view things with our mind – 
actually result in how we feel and what we experience, why wouldn't we always choose the good story? Choose kindness. Do you have an answer? I mean, I'm asking that as a question. Why wouldn't we always choose EGO, right? Yeah. And fear. Yeah. That we're going to be taken. We are not enough. It's a belief that we are not enough. Right. When we all are more than enough. We are. But there is that sense of... I don't know which TED Talk Brene came up with that. But basically, that's the essence. You are enough. That's Always. that's the foundation of everything. Well, and I really think that, you know, that obviously, like you said, that is Brene's whole commentary when it comes to vulnerability and everything. But I think that's everybody who talks about mindfulness and who talks about, you know, any yoga teacher that you're with, any, it's all about you are just fine and not like you're just fine, but you could lose a few pounds or you're just fine, but you need a better job. But you are enough just because you're here. In this moment. This exactly. is this is it. And you know, it's Jeff Foster. I haven't been spinning in my head the last few months. But yeah, I mean this is exactly where you're supposed to be. That's right. And if where you are is you're in pain, then that's where you're supposed to be. And uh, and instead of push it aside, embrace it. And that's really hard to do. It is. And my why I think that's so hard and what I've been working on really hard for like the last three or four months is this dropping of stories. The reason things sound so scary or not sound feel so scary is we have a story around it, which in itself is a confabulation, you know, or a judgment or an assumption that when something happens, it will mean this. We have a story. And instead of being present for what's ever happening, we've already played it out. And that's what scares us, the story. Not what's really happening, but the story. So like when Jeff Foster says, when you're sad, be sad. Sadness, there's nothing scary about it. You have some tears, you you feel, you hug. But the story about what it means to be sad yeah. is a totally What if this animal. never ends? That's a story. What if I'm weak? What if I'm weak? What if I'm not? What if I can't handle life? Those are the stories exactly. instead of just sit in sadness. And then it goes. We played that one clip where your sadness or your pain doesn't need to be healed. It needs to be held. It needs to be held. And that that language uh, really struck a chord in me. That's right. Can we play the last two clips? Please, go ahead. Here you have this wonderful, wonderful drug, placebo, yep. um, that because of the way it was studied in the medical world, it was, you know, anybody who was trying to assess the efficacy of a drug was upset when it didn't outperform the placebo. Right. You know, that, um, however, that placebo was curing a lot of people. So it's <laughs> it's right. a very, very powerful medication. Yeah. And so my work has been devoted to try to find a way over time in all these different studies to return that control over our health back to ourselves. Right. I think I think uh, it was a conversation I had with Esther Sternberg, who's an immunologist, about how, I mean, mm-hmm. all the placebo is doing is, is unlocking your brain's own pharmacy. But for some right. reason, we've never thought of placebo that way. You're right. We've thought of... Unlocking your brain's own pharmacy. Love that. That was one of my favorite quotes from that interview. And for somebody, I don't like pills, as you know. I've mm-hmm. shared that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll take them if I feel like I have to. But um, you know, I, I love I love placebos. I know. I know. <laughs> and it's so funny. Like placebos has like this stigma as if it's not real. Totally. Or as if it doesn't count, or as if it doesn't matter. Remember that mash? <laughs> I knew you. Were, I was going to say clinger. Where clinger. Um, is really hot, right? Right. In the four o double seven because it's hot. Because it's really hot, and he uh, Hawkeye gives him a pill, pill to say it will make him feel cool. Yeah. So Klinger is wearing like fur coats in the summer, and then finally they tell him, "I gave you a sugar pill," and, and he then starts to sweat. Everything's yeah. And 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 the thing that's funny about that is what Ellen Langer says is that researchers get angry about placebo effect because it ruins their research of their drug or whatever they're doing. And they'll be like, oh, oh, I see. People benefited from that placebo that's screwing up my research. Instead of us looking at it and going, wait a second, that that's what Ellen Langer decided to focus on, placebo effects. And placebo effects is what mindfulness is. If we change the way we look at things, this is Wayne Dyer, the things we look at change. If we change the words then all of a sudden our experience is different. And when we are given a sugar pill and we are told you will no longer be hot, we have that experience because mind and body are the same and they're integrated. And we 
feel so, I'm going to say we, I don't agree with this, but societally, we feel so distant from that. We feel that can't be. And why do you think that is? Honestly, we don't believe it. I don't know. And sometimes just having, like, um, I actually just, uh, I deal with um, headaches. And I, like Todd, I don't really like to take medicine. I'm, I'm, you know, kind of not, I'm not a, uh, comfortable with it because a lot of times it has a lot of other side effects, you know what I mean? Um, which I've experienced in my life when taking any kind of med. And so, but what's interesting is after the last headache I had, which was a while ago, I said, you know what, I'm just going to have a medication just in case, like just as like one of those like backup things. And there's almost this feeling of just having it is a placebo effect. Do you know what I mean? Having the pills at your disposal? Just having, just being like, I did something. Yeah. Now I feel relieved. Well, and I would not be shocked and, you know, I'll probably be wrong that, you know, you've been averaging a headache a month. Yeah. Once every four weeks or six weeks. I could very easily see you not getting one for a few months. That's my whole point is now I've got this thing in my head like, well, now I have a tool, yeah. a different tool because I have a million tools. But Sweetie this, likes it, that red hot water <laughs> bottle thing. She takes that everywhere she goes. It's so like our parents' age tool. I know. It's old school. And you have it so hot that you literally burn your forehead. Yes. And then you go to ice. Yes. I don't know. What's your deal? You just need some extreme temperature on your head yes. to make you forget about the pain that you're receiving? Yes. Yes to all of it. My goodness. I have many tools and they get me through. And I try to, I was telling Todd that I'm very, I use, while I'm having a headache, I actually use what I've learned in hypnobirthing. When I, I went through a whole hypnobirthing process to have Skylar where I practiced it and studied it and did all the tapes and everything. And my last headache was so severe that I actually practiced hypnobirthing and I was able to sleep. Mm-hmm. And what that tells me is that the pain is still there. This is actually what John Kabat-Zinn does at his university is he practices mindfulness, teaches mindfulness for stress release, relief and pain relief. Because if you can disengage from the pain and and create a space between you and the story of the pain, you can actually find some relief. I'm not saying it all goes away. It doesn't away. go away, but it, but it could takes the time. edge off. That's the thing is like, it's one of those tools where you're strengthening another piece of yourself that may need a little strengthening. And I was able to practice that and it was really effective. And I was very thankful for that. Um, so anyway. Do you want to do this last clip? We are 50 minutes in. Uh, but, no, but no, we don't need to. You're okay? I feel like, I feel like we got the essence yeah, of that. Yeah, don't it was you? really good. I don't remember what that last clip was about. What, did, what was it? I don't it? remember either. Was, I think it was the Eckhart Tolle thing. Oh, okay. She mentions uh, presence. So I've been uh, trying to uh, bring this up. This is my feel good portion of the show. Okay, let's hear it. LeBron James, you know King LeBron. I do. Uh, he created a program. Uh, any child who graduates from Akron Public Schools from 2021 to 2029 sticks with the foundation's mentorship program from third grade through graduation and meets certain testing, attendance, and community service requirements will receive a free ride to, um, I forget which college, worth about $9,500 per year. Wow, it'd have to be in Ohio, right? Yes, it's in Ohio, and I... I, I copy and pasted and I didn't include it all, but I think it's a pretty big time college. So I don't know. It's just, you know, I don't know. People don't like LeBron from a sports viewpoint. And I don't know. I, Why don't they like LeBron? Well, because he ditched Cleveland for Miami but and the way back. he did it. And then he came back to Cleveland. But anyways, uh, he's helping kids. So I just like yeah. hearing feel good stories. So that's my feel good story. Um my, I, I do need to say this real quick. Uh, University of Akron. Thank you, sweetie. Uh huh. Tournament of bad. Tournament of bad. Tournament of bad. Tournament of bad, sweetie. Okay. Uh, I went to lunch, brunch yesterday with uh, my nephew, my brother-in-law, and my father-in-law. That's a tournament of bad. No. Oh, good. The tournament of bad is my nephew Butch, also known as Max. Today's his birthday. Today's his birthday. Happy birthday, Max. Um, these kids, when they ask their date to homecoming, uh-huh. they have to come up with these creative ideas. I know. And everybody's posts these creative ideas on Facebook. And I just think it's stupid. Yeah. And like, if you just call the girl up and say, would you go to homecoming with me? That's bad. Well, it's not enough. That's not enough. Right. 
And all I know is I don't remember what it's like to be in high school, but it was pretty nervous asking a girl to a dance. And now you got to come up with these cockamamie, silly ideas. Stop it. Stop. Just stop it. <laughs> That's the tournament of bad. Well, I... I, like you, didn't have to experience it, so I don't know if it's they enjoy it or they don't like it, but I guess we'll just let them deal with it. Yes. Um, and then we have, we're in that uh, podcast award thing, sweetie. Oh, yeah. Um, so we're looking for reviews on iTunes, and if we get enough good reviews, we get a custom engraved plaque. Yes. And I'm Bobby Brady, and I want that trophy. You do? Why did Bobby Brady want a trophy? Don't you remember the episode, sweetie? I thought Jan wanted the trophy. Oh, my No, Jan gosh. threw Marsha's trophies away. Oh, she did? Do you remember that? I don't remember that Remember, Marsha came in, and she's like, where's all my trophies? They're not on the shelf. As if, like, Jan's like, she'll never notice. Well, and then, of course. Well played, Jan. They ask Jan, and she's like, well, you don't really need them. <laughs> I don't remember that part. Yeah. Bobby does the ice cream eating contest. Oh, yeah. And he just wants he a wants trophy. To win. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyways, we're in that. So, give us a tu- iTunes review. Um, and it's all about our audience uh, writing up something, descriptive comments and engagement of how listeners. Uh, lives have changed through our podcast. Well, really, all they have to do is write an iTunes review, right? It's not yeah. like it's a yeah, big just write essay. I- right? No, no, yeah, a sentence or two, a sentence or two. But you have it. to do more than just the rating, I guess, is what I'm saying. Got it. You have to write a, a sentence. And then there's a um, we have a speaker coming into Elmhurst on September 28th. His name is Dr. Michael Thompson. I think we're going to have him on the show. I'm kind of working that out right now. But uh, he's doing a talk on the pressured child, helping your child find success in school and in life. Um, and I just watched some TED Talks and things with Dr. Thompson, and he's the real deal. He's really good. So if you live in or around Elmhurst, um, September 28th. And um, iTunes review, I do want to read one iTunes review. Okay. It's from Jen C. from California. Uh, she says, I'm hooked on Zen parenting. I listen while exercising and driving. Can't say enough great things about Todd and Kathy. It's very practical and resourceful. I've become a ZPR pusher to my friends. There you go. Now you're talking, Jen. <laughs> To my friends and family, I think they make fun of me behind my back, and I don't care. Lots of laugh. Heck yes, come to California to speak. Very fleek, don't you know? San Francisco is close. Thanks. We're in fleek. Um, yeah, we're in fleek. Um, and I have two more reviews, but I'll save those for next week. So thank you so much for giving us some iTunes reviews. Yeah, just for, you know, not so much for the award, but just because you're doing it. Because you think about somebody makes a decision to do it. They go to their computer. They take the time. Yeah. Like, that's really kind. I'm humbled. I'm, I am too. I'm humbled. Can I read a last quote? Please do. Okay, as you're kind of going out. So just to finish up with Ellen Langer's research and the whole talk of mindlessness and mindfulness, I thought I would read this quote that kind of sums it all up. Mindlessness is the application of yesterday's business solutions to today's problems. Mindfulness, mindfulness attunement to today's demands to avoid tomorrow's difficulties. Do you like that? keep trucking (laughs) i wasn't listening i know um so this is the end of this show but we got that little tail end promotion just keep listening just keep listening see you guys have a good week that's our show friends thanks for listening we hope you felt outstanding and if you want to continue feeling this outstanding go to zenparentingradio.com and subscribe to the podcast you can also subscribe via itunes and while you're there feel free to give us a kind review You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. To reach us, you can send us a message at comments at zenparentingradio.com, or you can record a voice message through our website and ask any question you want. Go to Amazon or our website to find Kathy's first two books and her most recent award-winning book, Living What You Want Your Kids to Learn, The Power of Self-Aware Parenting. You can also subscribe to her Practicing Realness blog for her most up-to-date writing. If you're interested in The Tribe, the men's group that I co-facilitate, go to thetribemensgroup.com. We're grateful for your support and encouragement. We only ask that you give the same to yourself and the people you love most. Until next time.